We sang about it. When my time has come, when we come to the end, but that's the beginning. <laughs> ah, that's wonderful. And we also sang about the lofty mountain, which is what the Spirit is talking to us about today. The Spirit is saying, what is your altitude which will condition your attitude? So we look down from a lofty mountain grandeur. Has has anyone been skiing in the Alps? Yeah, the vista on the top there, it's awesome. Oh, just a... Breathtaking. And about the Drakensberg, the top of the Drakensberg? Yeah, yeah. Closer still. When did you last have a spiritual mountain top experience? An epiphany. Some so-called historic churches call the last few weeks of the season, we've just finished, epiphany, an encounter, an experience, an appearance. We're now in a new season of Lent, according to the historic traditions leading up to Easter. Last Wednesday, Jane and I went to an Ash Wednesday service at All Souls in, in, in Belito, where the ministry is full of the Spirit. Very powerful. Uh, and we, we had ashes put on our forehead in the shape of the cross. The ashes uh, signify mourning for sins. Uh, my only reservation about Lent, which is about six weeks, that I think Lent should be 365 days a year where we confess and affirm the resurrection of grace. Now, the the sermon last Wednesday was about the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, as usual, put his foot in his mouth. He wanted to enshrine the event And we we have to be careful of wanting to enshrine our experiences when we tremble and all that stuff. That's lovely stuff. But you can't live on top of the mountain. It's uninhabitable. It's a wonderful place to visit. But those who put your hands up, you've come down. (laughs) And Jesus came down with his disciples to the demon-infested Valley, where we all live every day. God told them up the mountain, he said, uh, listen to my son and stop playing religious games with your shrines.
So we live by faith and not by sight or sense or experience. Don't live in the past when I fell over and trembled and laughed and giggled and hopped and clapped and all the rest of it. I have no problem with any of that. But the presence of God is no less real when that's not happening. In fact, the presence of God is as intense as that all the time. The reality of God's kingdom is evident only to this mystery of faith that someone's talking about just now. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, not sensed, not felt. Faith is not an emotion. It's a sight of the kingdom which is not seen with a natural eye. Uh, Last night, I had a rip-roaring, very friendly debate with my son-in-law, who does not believe in God. And I told him he was his own God and all the rest of it. And we had a wonderful you know, okay, corral, gunfight. We were great friends at the end. Of it. <laughs> but, but he's very clever and he's, he requires reality to be determined by that which he can measure. And the reality of the kingdom is beyond that which is measured. Incidentally, <coughs> I've learned that the scientists now are telling us that there's more invisible matter in the universe than visible. That has to be, otherwise the equation, mc squared, won't balance. So the scientists are being full of faith because they believe in the invisible. It's a good model. Now back to altitude. Disciples of Jesus live in a dual dimension of this age and the age to come at the same time. So our personalities... In a sense, we are split personalities. In our spirits, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. But in our flesh, we're seated in gillets. And our souls straddle between the two. That's why Christians appear to be all mixed up at times. So we walk in the spirit, we walk in the flesh at the same time. So prayer and worship and fellowship and scripture are the vehicles of maintaining our altitude while we stumble through this desecrated universe. 
this universe which is burning up, this universe which has the imprint of the prince of death on it because everything is dying and consuming other things. So we accept the conundrum that our faith deals with things which are intangible and invisible and that sometimes we have to face it. The faith of the Son of God, the revelation of the kingdom, the gospel is incomprehensible. We don't like that because we like to understand and control and define and measure what's real and what's not real. But the reality of our own experience is that there's always something more out of sight. I mean, it's a great blessing to you that most of me is out of sight. (laughs) And we're at the coast now and we see the horizon. But there's more out of sight. And, and, and if we go up into an aeroplane, there's still more out of sight. And we go up into a Sputnik and get into the doodah thing, there's always more out of sight. Beloved, the reality that is impacting us every day is there's more out of sight. Much more. Much more munch. That's why Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you will not even see the kingdom. And as much as God has given us an intellect for certain functions and purposes, there is a dimension of reality, of the life of the disciple which goes beyond definition. There are two baptisms in the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. There are two baptisms. The first one is when the risen Christ comes into my heart. And theologically and biblically, the Holy Spirit baptizes me into Christ. When I'm born again, it's scripture is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. That's what happened when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And he had some fish. And he said, touch me. And he said, receive you the spirit. Receive the spirit. That was a baptism in the spirit. And he breathed on them. And to be born again is to have an encounter in your heart with the Christ risen from the dead who's been to the cross and paid the penalty for all our sins. That's the first baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the birth. The church has for many years taught a great error. It is taught that the church was born born 
on the day of Pentecost. That's absolute stuff and nonsense. Church was born when the head of the church was born first. The first begotten from the dead on the day of resurrection. And on the day of Pentecost, the, the church, which was now 120 plus, including Mother Mary, was clothed, equipped, immersed in the Spirit. So the Assemblies of God had it right that the first initiation into the, the discipleship is by the Spirit we are baptized into the body of Christ and then Jesus, who's the head of the body, baptizes, baptizes us back into the Holy Spirit and that's Pentecost. And the Old Testament model to help us understand that are the feasts of Passover and the feast of Pentecost. They're distinct. And Jesus was born the Son of God but he was anointed the Christ 30 years later at the Jordan. One, two, one, two. Resurrection, Pentecost. Birth and anointing. <laughs> now, the Pentecostals are accused of being emotionally over the top. The baptism in the Spirit does not necessarily have anything to do whatever with emotion. And there are people who said, oh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and uh, I, I wriggled on the floor for 24 hours and all the rest of it. I'm quite happy with all that. But that's not necessary. When Jesus baptizes people in the Holy Spirit, they are filled up, I praise you, Lord, 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 I praise you, Lord. Oh, dear, this is the problem. I praise you, Lord, I praise you, Lord, I praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. You may find this hard to believe, but everyone in this room can speak in tongues. Not everyone of you wishes to do so. But every one of you can. And speaking in tongues is not something that happens to you. It's something that you do. The Holy Spirit does not speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit does not speak in tongues. The Word of God says they began to speak. And the Holy Spirit gave them the language of the Spirit. And when I speak in tongues, my spirit prays. And I read a little pamphlet once. It says 17 Reasons why you should speak in tongues, just quoted verse after verse. The one that I like is that those who speak in tongues give thanks well to God. Which is what we've been doing this morning, is giving thanks to God. And so you say, I thank you Jesus, I thank you Jesus, I thank you Jesus, I thank you Jesus. But if, if you want to say it fully, say, I thank you Jesus, I thank you Jesus, I thank you Jesus. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Speaking in tongues has many other functions, uh, referred to in Ezekiel and all the rest of it. But the issue, beloved, is that, according to the Word of God, when I speak in tongues, my spirit prays. 
but my understanding is in neutral. I don't understand. God is invisible and God is incomprehensible. I don't understand and I don't need to understand. And I have engagement with people. But how, but how, but how, but how, but how, but how, but how how does this happen? It's not the how. I receive it as a child. I was sharing the other day with someone who was, I believe water is wet. I believe that and there's not a sweat. I believe water is wet. I believe the word of God more than I believe water is wet. It doesn't mean I understand it. So it may not be sensational or emotional. It's a free act of the will. In 1 Corinthians 14, we're told, I will sing in the spirit. And I will sing in the understanding. So will, you don't have to have an anointing. You can just decide to do what is biblical and take an action trusting that the word of God will be true that when you move from the understanding word into the well that was gobbledygook but not to God. See I notice when this congregation in worship switches over to a time of worshipping together in the scripture which says, I will sing in the Spirit. There's a distinctive rise in the awareness of God's presence. Not that the presence of God is any increased, but there's an awareness of that presence that increased. Those who use the gift of tongues are a lot more spiritual than those who are not. Don't use the gift of tongues. It's not a matter of pecking order or scout badges. But those... Michael Cassidy once on another level replied to someone and says, You think you're better than me, don't you? And he says, I'm not better than you, but I am better off. (laughs) And and those who use and move in the gift of the Spirit are not better than any other believer, but they have more facilities, more vehicles. And the vehicles of accessing, as I said, of worship and fellowship and prayer and Scripture... These are vehicles of maintaining, as far as we can, an altitude and look down from lofty mountains. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. I've heard uh, Beverly Shea at a Billy Graham uh, crusade in Earl's Court, where Jane and I went forward. We were, we were in Earl's Court, there were 32,000 people there. We'd sung Beverly Shea's thing. And uh, Cliff Richard was there. And, Tula Clark and Billy Graham made his appeal 
about, uh, there were 32,000 people, and then about five or 600 people went forward, a lot of them wearing dog collars. Uh, and Jane and I were on the third tier up. And I said, there's no point in going down here, they'll have gone by the time we get there. And Billy Graham said, I oh, know what you're saying up there, you're saying we'll be gone by the time we get down here, we'll be waiting for you. And we go, We'd already been born again, but we hadn't confessed it publicly. So those who use this prayer facility are not more spiritual than anyone else, but they do have more resources. I pray in tongues every day as a matter of course, and not as some hyped-up experience. On the day of Pentecost, it was the onlookers who were ecstasis. In English, it's amazed. And Pentecostals are accused of being in a trance or over the top. That may be so in another case, but that's not what speaking in tongues is all about. It's not what the day of Pentecost is all about. The people who were ecstasis on the day of Pentecost were the onlookers. They were blown away by all these different nations praising God in their own language and understanding what was going on. Speaking in tongues has nothing whatever to do with the trance. Quite good stuff. I would like to be able to say with Paul, I speak in tongues more than you all. When this congregation sings in tongues in worship, I sense a rise in the awareness of God's presence. Thank you. Now I wish to honor Alan and Mary Ellen Blackman. Okie doke. Now, uh, we were all disappointed, as you know, when Alan didn't get to the semifinals of the national sartorial competition for pastors. Uh, <laughs> And fortunately, Mary Ellen saved the day. She got into the finals, and uh, so honor was redeemed. I I thought you were in a bit of a trance at the time, Mary Ellen. (laughs) Uh, The person who beat you was... uh, Imelda, yay, Ngumbi, and she had a most golden, flashing, jewel-infested gown that covered the podium. So you really didn't have a chance. But nonetheless, you held up our honor. You were a finalist. Well done. Now, why I want to honor Alan and Mary Ellen is that they are pastors. And they are leaders. And in Romans chapter 12, we have what has been called motivational gifts. There are 12 ministry gifts which are distinct from one another. There's the gift of teaching. There's the gift of prophesying. The gift of ministry and service. The gift of exhortation. Giving. And quite differently from all this, there's the gift of leadership. And leadership in the kingdom is exactly opposite to leadership in the world. 
And Jesus blows our minds and he says, listen to me. And he takes a young child and said, if you want to be a leader, be like this young child. Now Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Alan and Mary Ellen are shepherds who know the sheep. They've been raised with the sheep for dogs years. Moses was a leader. And one of the experiences and role models of leadership is to be criticized. And Moses went through all that time and people were moaning and groaning and shying coconuts at him. They wanted to go back to Egypt and all that stuff. And nothing's changed. In modern day, pastoral leaders face coconuts by the barrel every Monday morning. It should not be so. But it is so. It is not the purpose of leadership to please God's people. It's the purpose of leadership to please God. And Paul said, I cannot serve God if I please man. So if Alan and Mary Ellen are pleasing you, you must question their integrity because they don't measure up to the biblical model. If they are displeasing you, give them a tick. It's not your job to be pleased. It is your job to be displeased and to submit with joy. I know that half this congregation are furious about the color of the wall. The Lord is very pleased that you're upset with the color of the wall. And if you're not upset with the color of the wall, the Lord will have to find something else to displease you with. (laughs) I I have noticed in, in my... Fellowship with leaders in in many different charismatic movements. That the pastors who are gifted as teachers and apostles and prophets want to get out of pastoring just as soon as they can because they cannot face Monday morning any longer. And you see, the apostle is wondering where he can plant the next one. And that Teacher is just wrapped up with the wonder of the word and gets deeper and deeper and disappears. All you can see is toenail. The prophet is just concerned with that one now word that's burning on his heart. And so on and so forth. But the pastor who leads the flock, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The pastor who leads the flock 
He's wrapped up with the people. He knows where they are, what they are. They're all about their, their tragedies. And when Henry finished his course as our leader, I've known Henry for 40 odd years, from the 70s and 80s. When we were in the Seminaries of God conferences, Henry would speak at them and call it a sanity at last. Because the Seminaries of God could be very culty at times. <laughs> raise your voice, raise your voice, right? Okay. But when Henry handed over the mantle, there, there was great consternation. You know, so where to now? So where to? And uh, and, and there was prayer and as has turned out, Alan and Mary Ellen took up the role of being criticized. And I, I've known many different leaders. As I say, I've been around the block a bit, and I fellowship very broadly in the different leadership expressions. Alan and Mary Ellen are quite exceptionally, phenomenally good leaders because they do not fit the model. No one with intelligent, common sense and administered acumen would choose these two. But God has a different set of values. And on his birthday, on Alan's birthday, I celebrate them both. And I bless them. And I thank God for them. And I'm about, hopefully, <laughs> to get my ticket. But there is a sense that I was here in 19, February 1971 when this fellowship first Got together. Jesus is the head of the church. And all the thank yous that we said, I bring together and say, Thank you, Lord, for Alan and Mary Ellen. And God bless them. And now it's lunch time. Lunch time, sorry. No, 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 no. I thought, is there any, any itinerant ministry out there? But nobody's calling me. But I do know from when I had a sense of call to ministry when I was 16, 
And I only went into ministry when I was 31. I had a call to pastoral ministry and I had a call to this body. And we've had the privilege of having Jonathan and Jane, Henry and Monica and the others in the, in that mix who have walked with us. And given it their all and poor old Jonathan retired at least seven times and had to keep coming back. So I won't retire, I'll just stay. <laughs> but I honor, honor you guys who have gone before. I honor the sacrifices that you made for me. I remember being at finance meetings, and it was really hectic in those days, as it is today. Same thing, nothing's changed. But in those days, we used to, at the end of every month, we used to total up what had come in and the expenses. And if there was anything left, it got given away. And then we had to wait for the next month. And it's probably, in a sense, similar to that today. We still have to trust the Lord for our provision. And we all do. It doesn't matter whether you've got a full-time job, whether you're a pensioner, whatever. We have to trust Jesus to provide our every need. And I know because I know many of the people here who are, who are, who are struggling. And when I look at the numbers and I look at the church's finances, I just have to give thanks to God. And so... Sometimes, as I've looked at it, I've realized that the Lord has called me here. And I say, come Lord Jesus, and we can go and all be with him sometime as Jonathan keeps praying. Let's go and be with Jesus. But my prayer and hope is that I would be here until I have a funeral. Until I have a body here, maybe. That I'd be, <laughs> no, no, didn't I? Just to be with you and to walk with you. Yes, I know at some time the, the finances will come to an end for that. But I love you guys. And I want you to prosper and grow. And to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's all I want. I know I'm going to offend you lots. And you're not going to like what I say. But if in it all you become more like Jesus, then I'm happy. And I will carry on offending you. But bless you. Thank you. I pray it's a joy. Let's close. And then we're going to have some food and fellowship. And uh, celebrate my 60th for the 17th time. Thank you for all the well wishes. Thank you for the presence. Thank you for the, the, the WhatsApp, the Facebook congratulations and all that. So, Lord, I thank you for this beautiful people, this beautiful family called Sarepta. I thank you, Lord, that we are the family of God. That's who we are. We once thought we had a family, but we actually didn't have a family. We had, uh, yeah, now we have the family. It's the family of God. It's Marilyn and Trenchard, which we walked with for 30 years, 35 years. I've been in this place for 40 years. It's such a joy such excitement Andrew from the Presbyterian Church days in 1979-1980 Lord I thank you for each of them I thank you for the new people for Jockey and and Ali who walked into our lives and and ministered to us Lord we just we are rejoiced Lord 
I rejoice. This is the day you have made. Let's just sing and, and sing holy, holy, holy or whatever you've got for us.